my friends. Well, bless you guys. Excited to gather and, and worship together again. Um, did anybody's Thanksgivings look different this year? You don't have to tell your story, but if it looked a little different than usual, you want to kind of raise your hand, wave at me a little bit. All right, some of you were able to stick with some familiar stuff. Some of you maybe experienced something different. Um, you know, I'm just, I don't know. I've just, I felt like I've really had the Lord speaking just some, some things into my heart, um, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but just leading up to it here on the other side of it. I've just, I've been aware of a lot of friends whose plans changed. They were unable to connect with family. Maybe they even um, got ill right before Thanksgiving. It just, it just hijacked things. Um, and it's just been amazing this year reading through the scripture and how often the things I'm finding myself reading that were just kind of part of the reading plan, like they're speaking right to the moment I'm in. Has anybody else had that experience? And, you know, over and over again, as we're reading through some of these letters of Paul now, he's talking about how his heart is aching to see these people that he's writing these letters to. You know, I, I love you. I pray for you. You're in my prayers. Man, I can't wait to come see you, or I wish that I could come see you. And just in a whole new way in my life, those letters and that sentiment feels very real. I think I've taken for granted in a lot of my life that, yes, I have distance from people. Um, maybe they don't live in the same city as me. I've moved away. They've moved away, whatever. But generally, you know, we can, we can still find a way to purpose to make time to meet. And it's just, as we've navigated this strange year, I've found comfort in the fact that we are united. We are united. We're united in heart. We're united in spirit. Whatever physical distance might be there, because of Jesus, we're one body. And so I've found a lot of comfort in that. And it's caused me just to have gratitude. I, I've found myself reflecting. I've got friends that I know that are believers that live in other countries, but I've just found myself maybe having a little bit more awareness than I typically do of our brothers and sisters around the world. And so I, I hope that maybe as we're experiencing unexpected disconnection from people that are close to us, that would remind us of the larger church family that we are a part of. All right, well, we're gonna jump into the message here pretty quick this morning. Um, we've been working our way through just these series of letters. Most of them so far are letters that Paul has written. Um, and as we're looking at these letters that were written to the early church, I believe we see over and over again the Holy Spirit is wanting to remind us as, as, he is, as he is pouring this stuff into Paul and Peter and others, he's wanting to remind us of the incredible power that is available to us as followers of Jesus. There's incredible power that we're meant to experience in our personal lives. But friends, the church, the united body of Christ, is supposed to walk with a sense of power and victory in this world. Not only that we can enjoy it together, but that we can share this life-changing power of Jesus with a world in need. And I, I'm concerned in many ways we lose sight of that. Whether it's just through the busyness and circumstance of life, whether it's our interaction with other members of the body of Christ and you know, maybe our more fleshly side has rubbed off on each other, and so we're aware of ways we don't experience the fullness of the power of God. 
that we miss out on the fact that there are incredible things available to you and to me through Jesus. There just are. And so the church was told, I mean, these guys, many of these early church folks, they had known Jesus personally. Or if, if nothing else, they were hearing about Jesus from first-generation Christians. They were hearing about Jesus from people who knew him personally. And yet, in these early days of the church, they still needed these reminders. And so, friends, the body of Christ has, has dealt with some of these struggles throughout history. And we're no different. And so up to this point, we've talked about um, the need to rediscover the power of the gospel. That the gospel be a part of our daily lives. The redemption that God is working in us. That we would be people that are quick to recognize there are times I need to repent and to be forgiven and I need to extend gospel grace to others. And ultimately, we are the carriers of that gospel message to a world in need. So we talked about the power of the gospel. Then we talked about the power of love. You know, if the good news is we've been rescued from this old dead way of living, the news doesn't stop there. God has invited us to move into a new way of living and that is the way of love. And that is both a gift we have right here, right now, and it's something we gotta grow in. God wants to continue to grow us and mature us in love. And so one of the key ways he does that moves into the third thing we talked about, and that's the power of community. One of the main ways that we grow in love and we experience love is learning to live together in Christian community. We were made for each other. And our weaknesses that we bring to the table, God wants to use those as much as our strengths. Because in our weakness, who's strong? He is. And so his love has an opportunity to invade even our hardest interactions with one another. When it gets challenging to walk in love with one another, then we truly have to rely upon him to give us what we don't have. And so the way of love grows as we live in community with each other. And then finally, last Sunday, we talked about the power of grace. And really simply put, grace is not this thing that God gives us. Grace is his very presence with us. And so it is his presence in our lives that gives us grace. And, you know, if, if you've grown up in church, like the word grace gets closely attached to the word mercy. Like when I think of grace, I just think of being forgiven and grace was at work in God extending his mercy to us. But grace is more than just being forgiven. Grace is the power to be who we're called to be and to do what we're called to do. And so God's presence comes into our lives and enables us to live in community, enables us to grow in love because he's giving us everything we need to be who he's made us to be, to do what he's called us to do. All right? So if you missed any of those weeks, there you go. I just saved you several different 45-minute messages. You're welcome. All right. Now, we're going to dive into the power of hope together this morning. The power of hope. Anybody think we might need a little bit of that? Anybody need that in their own lives today? Yeah. I guarantee you the world around us needs it. And so my hope <laughs> is that we would be filled with some hope this morning that any places where we are weary, worn down, struggling, that God would breathe some new hope into our lives. 
But friends, I'm also praying and believing that as a church, as that we would be carriers of this, that we'd be carriers of this, that we would, we would walk around filled with hope and that we can share that with other people. Um, but first, we got to get it ourselves. We can't give away what we don't have. And so my prayer is God would fill us with some hope. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the giver of hope. Um, you know, that, that word can, can sound wonderful. It can also be tied up with disappointment. You know, there are many things in this life, Lord, that we hope for that never seem to come about. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would anchor our hope in you. God, that you would be our source of hope. That we would hold on to you. We would look to you. God, that we would receive hope that would help us navigate this life. Look ahead to our eternal future with you. And God, that we could enjoy a purposeful, fruitful life here on earth because of the hope that we have in you. Lord, would you help this word to come alive in our hearts today? God, where we have been beat down and weary, would you fill us and strengthen us? And Lord, would you enable us to be the kinds of people that can share your life-giving hope to a world in need? It's in your name we pray, amen, amen. Um, you know, I had thought about opening this message with some like, statistics and just some things that we're seeing in the news right now, but I don't really know that you guys need any extra information from me about the sense of hopelessness that many are feeling right now. Um, it's something that to a degree is, is an age-old problem, but it, it's very real in our society right now. People are struggling with a sense of hopelessness. Um, many Americans now will even say they don't have much hope for the future. It's, it's one of the first times in American history where people haven't felt hopeful about the future. And so there is an incredible lack of hope. There is this sense of hopelessness that's settling in. But guys, this is truly an age-old problem. Um, long before Jesus came to earth, in the Old Testament, both the writer of Proverbs and the psalmist reflected on this struggle for hope that the world experiences and so, for example, in Proverbs 13, 12, we get a taste of this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. But for many, they never get past the first half of that sentence. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope that just, it always seems like it's this carrot, you know, that's out there that I can't quite grab hold of. I can't quite attain it. It always evades me. And that produces something. Hope that is never fulfilled, guys, it makes our heart sick. Hope was meant to be something good, a gift from God. But when it is misplaced or unfulfilled, it's heartbreaking. It can actually be destructive. When, when I was struggling um, for years, I didn't know what to call it, or maybe I was just avoiding calling it what it was. But when I finally came to grips with the fact that I've been struggling with depression for years, I'll never forget this. And I've, I've probably shared this before in years past, but I'll never forget when I finally started getting some counseling. And I'm, I'm sitting down with this, 
this um, Christian brother, um, you know, he, he had all of the education, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit, rooted in the Word of God. And I just remember saying to him, you know, he's asked me, like, what are, what are you hoping for? What are you wanting? And I was like, man, I just feel like I'm drowning, and I'm just hoping to get a breath of air. Like, I just feel like I'm struggling to just get my head above water. And he looked at me, and he goes, man, that won't cut it. <laughs> You've set the bar too low. You're hoping to just catch a breath of air. God has something more glorious for you. Friends, I believe many of us have learned to set the bar too low because we have been taught by the circumstances of this life and we have been taught through the disappointment of relationships that have let us down that our hope will go unfulfilled. And so in order to protect ourselves from getting heart sick, we set the bar too low. Listen, that's not what Jesus offers us. Friends, I've been real about this and I always will be. The scripture makes it clear, following Jesus still means life is gonna be difficult at times. There is suffering that we will go through. But that's not the whole story. It's not the final word. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus wants to offer us hope. He wants to inspire us to hope and dream again. We just need to place our hope in the right place. And it's not meant to just figure out how we can eke by. Friends, I want to I challenge you. I want to encourage you. If you've struggled with hopelessness, if you've felt overwhelmed by this life, I want to encourage you to dare to dream again that what God offers us is glorious. It's glorious. And so this is now what the psalmist writes about. In Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, he says, I would have lost heart. I would have been like one of those heart-sick people unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. It's not just like I'm waiting around like this. It's an intentional waiting. I'm, I'm looking expectantly to the Lord. I have expectation that he's going to come through, that he has all that I need. And so I'm waiting on the Lord. What happens when I purpose to place my hope in him like that? I can be of good courage. It gives me strength to continue on. He strengthens your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Friends, the source of true hope is only found in Jesus. The thing I want to encourage you to, to consider this morning before we move forward at all. First of all, I want you to, to maybe be willing to be honest with yourself. Have I struggled with this? Have I found myself slipping into hopelessness? Can I identify with that sense of, of weariness, like I'm just kind of getting by? And then I want you to consider the possibility that, that maybe we've been placing our hope in the wrong place. That maybe we've been, even, even not on purpose. You know, I think as followers of Jesus, we intend to place our hope in him. But then, you know, I live here in America and like I want my job to provide certain things and I want my relationships to be fulfilling in certain ways. And so Little by little, the culture around me rubs off on me and I begin to give my hope away to other places. And so our starting point this morning is this. 
wait on the Lord. Even if you feel hopeless, wait on him and see if he might not fill you with some courage and some strength for the journey ahead. And that if we wait on him, we will see his goodness in the land of the living. I think that's significant. The psalmist is saying, I'm not just looking ahead to heaven, but I'm, I'm believing I'm going to see God's goodness here on this earth. All right? So here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna, I want to talk about three ways that we can do this. Three ways that we can set our hope in Jesus. So it's all rooted in him, all right? Our hope is in him. But three ways that we can do that, I want you to be able to reflect on the power of hope like this. There's the hope of heaven. Wait, Jake, you just said we're hoping for goodness here on earth. Yeah, but heaven is a big, big part of this. So there's the hope of heaven. There's the hope of glory. And there's hope of a fruitful life. Hope of heaven, hope of glory, hope of a fruitful life. All right, first of all, I want to talk about the hope of heaven. So uh, I'm just going to let you know up front, you know, we were reading through Philippians, Colossians, and Paul's two letters to the Thessalonians this week. And so I'm going to be drawing from all of these letters as we reflect on these three issues related to hope. So first of all, the hope of heaven. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, and, and really for several verses after that, Paul writes these words. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. He's talking about those who've passed away, who've died. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. I'm not gonna talk about grief a lot this morning, but I just wanna pause and say, the scripture allows us room to grieve. We just get to grieve in a unique way as followers of Jesus. Our grief is still meant to be laced with hope. And so Paul expounds on that here. He says, for here's the deal. Even those that we've lost, those who have died, we don't have to grieve like those who have no hope. Why? Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... Through Jesus, God will bring those with him who have fallen asleep. Here's what's happening. The early church didn't necessarily anticipate that it would take Jesus a long time to return. That first generation church, many of them were believing, we're going to see Jesus return in our lifetime. And so what's happening is time is beginning to pass They've been walking with Jesus for years now, and they're starting to realize, A, life's pretty hard, and B, we have loved ones who've died. And they're starting to get worried, like, are they okay? What's, their condi what's the condition of their souls? Like, what's happening here? Like, this is taking longer than we expected. Man, they had no idea. <laughs> here we are 2,000 years later. But they were struggling with this. And so Paul is saying, listen, they have not missed out on life. They have not missed out on Jesus' return. And so he wants to anchor the early church and say, listen, friends, if we're just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back so I can stop struggling, or I'm waiting for Jesus to come back, and I'm uncertain about my loved ones who I've lost, Paul's saying, listen, friends, this has to be an anchor for us. Just as Jesus died and rose again, that's the foundation of the gospel, 
That's the hope of our faith, that someone rose from the dead. We are now trusting that we will all rise in Christ. And so he wants them to find an anchor in the hope of heaven. And then he gives a brief description of what Christ's return is going to look like over the next few verses there. And then he finishes with this. He completes the thought with these words. Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Friends, it's easy for us as we're walking through this life for heaven to feel very distant. It's easy for it to feel distant. And then the world comes along, and you know, one of the biggest accusations against the church from the world's perspective is that, well, the reason we believe in Jesus is we're just looking for some sense of hope to make it through a hard life. And so it's just sort of this, you know, heaven, the idea of heaven, it's just this like placebo effect to just sort of make you feel cheery about the future, and it's a coping mechanism to deal with a hard life. Paul's saying, no, heaven is a reality. And so he's saying, in the process of the waiting, in the difficulty of waiting, and in the midst of loss, in the midst of a life where loss is inevitable, he says the reality of heaven should anchor us. Jesus promised to return, and he will. And even even all those lives who have passed on, they're with the Lord. And and they're they're going to be resurrected. They're going to be brought back to life, and they're going to live eternally. Let's find our hope in heaven. But listen, Paul, in his letters, he, he doesn't just talk about heaven as this thing we look ahead to. It's more than that. Check this out. In Philippians 3, verse 20, and we're going to read all the way through into uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul is building on this idea of looking ahead to heaven, and he says this, for our citizenship is in heaven. That means heaven is our actual true home, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Paul's saying heaven is not just this wishful thought of this thing that we're believing one day we'll be there and it'll be okay. He's saying, listen, in the midst of this difficult world, remember something. This is not your home. That is your home. Heaven is where your true citizenship lies. Why does that matter? Friends, I hope you catch this. There is a reason that we inherently know that pain and difficulty and loss are wrong. I mean, our entire lives, we've grown up facing the reality of death. And yet every time someone that we know and love dies, something in us just cries out, this is wrong. This is not okay. This isn't right. The reason for that is we were made for another place. We were made for a place where there is no death. 
We are eternal beings made in the image of God. And we were meant to experience his presence and perfect love with him and one another for eternity. That's what we were made for. And so friends, the reason heaven is meant to anchor us, it's not only something we're hoping for one day when things will be better there, it's the reminder that even when things are hard here, there's a reason why. It's hard here because I'm not supposed to be here. This world is not supposed to be like this. This world is broken as a result of sin and the fall. And so it's actually heaven that makes sense of a broken world. Otherwise, it would be ridiculous for us to think that death was wrong because it's our reality. We should just naturally accept it, but we don't. And we don't because we know somewhere deep down there's something else. We were made for the eternal. And so, friends, we need to remember that this is not our true home. And therefore, when things are hard, we need to remember that heaven is real and it's where I really belong. And so even in my pain, even in my struggle and suffering, the reality of heaven can be an anchor to me. It can be a reminder. Why does this hurt right now? Oh, yeah, because Jesus, I belong to you. And I'm meant for that place where there is no more pain and there is no more sin and where you wipe every tear away. And so God, in this moment that is filled with hurt and grief and I'm, I'm tired of waiting and I'm tired of loss, Jesus, would you remind me and fill me with hope that I can have tears right here, right now. That's okay. The Christian life is not about pretending like things don't hurt. But in the pain right here, right now, I invest those tears in hope that there will be a day when he wipes every tear away. Friends, the hope of heaven should not detach us from this present reality, but it should fill our time here with purpose. With purpose. This is what Paul writes about in Colossians 1, verses 3 through 6. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You hear what he's saying? The faith you have in Christ and the love that you're extending to each other, it's because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The hope of heaven shouldn't cause us to detach from this world. See, that's, that's one possibility, is that I could go, well, heaven's coming, this life's hard, let me just kind of try to detach myself emotionally and just sort of protect myself and survive and things will be better there. No, Paul is saying the thing that fills you with faith in the midst of a difficult world, the thing that helps enable you to love others well is because you are filled with the hope of heaven. The reality of heaven is so real to you that you can hang in there during hard times. The reality of heaven is so real to you that you can carry that hope, and in love, you can give people a glimpse of the hope that we have in Jesus. That fills me with purpose. Friends, we, we live in a world longing for hope. I mean, have you ever stopped and reflected on how many Christmas movies there are? Uh, we did this this week. We sat down this week, earlier in the week, and, you know, the last couple of years, I feel like the Christmas are just on constantly all through the holiday season. They start, sort of start to lose their 
you know, their, their special little magic of like we're sitting down and watching them. So we sat down a few days before Thanksgiving and we made a list. We were like, okay, what are, what are the movies that we want to make sure to slow down and watch together as a family? And so we made out our list. And it's like, all right, nobody's watching those. Don't cheat. Don't go on Netflix and cheat. You got to save that till the night we sit down to watch that Christmas movie. And you watch these movies and they're all relatively the same, right? Something's wrong. Life's difficult. But there's this moment of hope. And we just... We get drawn to these movies. We get drawn to the message of them because we do long for hope. And we're aware something's broken here. Guys, the world is looking for this. And what Paul is saying is, as believers, we need to be filled with the hope of heaven and therefore live on purpose. It helps me hold on in difficulty. It makes sense of the trouble I'm facing but now I can live on purpose. He continues. Of this, you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The hope and reality of the gospel, the hope of heaven, it is designed to produce fruit that spreads. It's designed to both grow within us and to spread to a world in need. Friends, our theology, it doesn't end with heaven as the ultimate conclusion. See, I think we have this backwards sometimes. In our theology, it's like, Jesus showed up, I get forgiven of my trouble, maybe I'm aware that he's with me, helping me trudge through life, and then, ta-da, exclamation point, heaven! And it's like this ultimate destination point. Paul is, is making the case that in our theology, we gotta start with heaven. I, I start with heaven, it's my starting point, that's my true home, it's where I belonged all along. And so Jesus showed up to set the wrong things right so that I could be rooted in him and I could be assured that my true home is with him forever. That is my starting point of faith. And so my hope is in the eternal presence of God. Therefore, I can navigate the difficulties of life. Therefore, I can live with purpose in a world that needs hope. Friends, don't let heaven become the afterthought, the thing we put up on the bookshelf. Wait till later. I don't want to think about that. That's still so far off. No, let the reality of heaven be present with us here and now. May it be an anchor for us when life is hard. That it's hard because my home is elsewhere. And there's other people who need to know that their home is elsewhere too. And so that, that begins to move us into the next thing now. So Paul actually builds on this idea, still in the book of Colossians here, chapter 1. And Paul now kind of continues this opening to his letter to the Colossians. See, he's starting with heaven as the opening to his letter. And then he begins to declare to them, the glory of who Jesus is. I would encourage you, this is rich reading. Soak in it. If you read it this week, man, that's awesome. I hope it got all over you. If you missed it, go back and read it. 
But in this opening chapter of Colossians, I just want to highlight some of the things he says in verses 13 through 20. He, he highlights the glory of Jesus, the one in whom we place our hope. And he says he's delivered us from darkness. He's redeemed us and forgiven us. So in the darkness of this world, he's light in that darkness. In the darkness that exists in my own life, that causes my life to deteriorate and hurts people around me, he wants to redeem those broken things and he's forgiven me. Not only is he the one that delivers me from darkness and forgives me, he's the creator of all. He rules all things and he holds all things together. Not only is he God of this whole world, he's the head of the church. He's the firstborn of the resurrected. Again, a glimpse of our, our hope in heaven. Because he has risen from the dead, we are assured that we will. And so what is he doing He's reconciling the world to God, bringing peace through his death. And so Paul highlights all these glorious things about Jesus, and then he reminds us of what that means for you and me. Check this out. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through the first part of 23. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in the mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Friends, our glorious Savior Jesus, who is our hope, he is not only deeply invested in bringing us to heaven one day so that we're home with him, he is deeply invested in our healing, our wholeness, and our growth. He's deeply invested in that. All these glorious things about him, they're available to us because he wants to change us. Friends, we not only have the hope of heaven, we have the hope of glory. We have the hope of glory. That's a weird word that maybe we don't talk about enough in our culture. But it actually speaks to some of the biggest things that cause us to be hopeless. Do, do you realize how many problems in our society are rooted in the fact that people don't feel like themselves? They don't feel accepted. They don't feel loved. They don't even feel at home in their own skin. There is a deep longing in the human heart to be right, to be good, to be desired, to be cared for just for who we are. Not for what I do for people. Not I'm a good kid and I earn it. We, we do those things to try to get the acceptance we're longing for. But we have a deep innate desire to just be loved and valued as we are. But in this broken world, we're often rejected because of who we are. We aren't liked for who we are, what we look like, how we interact with people, how we treat people, what our personality is, what our likes and dislikes are. And so then we'll go through all of these things to try to earn and gain approval. What the gospel is telling us is that 
we are, first of all, made in the image of God, and in his eyes, we are beautiful and glorious. Secondly, the gospel tells us we're broken. We're broken people in a broken world, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came for all of us to do this. Friends, our identity is meant to be rooted in Jesus Christ. He takes us as we are. He's the only one that does that. Now, you might meet some very gracious, wonderful, loving people who will take you as you are. My wife took me as I was when when we got married. But she didn't really know what she was in for when she did that. (laughs) And she has put up with me through many years, and hopefully by the grace of God, I've I've gotten a tiny bit more glorious than I was when she married me. Um, But she, she did. She took me as I am. But she's had to deal with the reality of broken, messed up me. And I am sure that she could highlight plenty of times where it has been incredibly difficult to take me as I am. And she would love to see me be a little bit different. But see, here's the cool thing about Jesus. When he takes us as we are, he already knows. He knows the whole story. He knows the depths of my brokenness. He knows all my struggles and my sin. And he loves me. And he loves you. And he takes us as we are. But he loves us enough to do something glorious in us. And it's not, that he's, <clears throat> it's not that he's trying to clean you up so you'll be good. You guys realize the word holiness, it's, it's very closely aligned with the word wholeness. It's about things being the way they were meant to be. Healthy, whole, made new. Guys, part of our hope is that in all that we're going through in this life, Jesus is up to something. Whatever our our various levels of commitment might be in our relationship to him, he's very committed in his relationship to us. And he is committed to doing something glorious in us. He's committed to shaping us and molding us, healing us, cleansing us, making us new. He wants to do that work here in this life. It's a present hope. It's something he's up to in us. And so whatever is happening around us, I have hope in that circumstance that God is doing something glorious in this moment. That, that he is making me into something beautiful and new. And so this, this revelation that Paul is talking about, he says, This revelation of Jesus, it was made known to the saints of old so that they could share it with all who would hear. And that leads us to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them, these saints that received this good news, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, that's me and you sitting here today, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, the thing we long for, not only to be be loved and valued, but to have something good to offer this world. 
to live a life of significance, to make a difference. I want my life to matter. Guys, the hope of that kind of glory, it's rooted right here in Jesus Christ. I want to explore this phrase more fully, so take a minute with me here, all right? I want to go back and I want to read verses 25, 26, and 27 of Colossians. And I don't know how familiar y'all are with the New Living Translation. I'm hoping you're not super familiar because I think sometimes hearing this in some fresh phrasing helps us to catch something that we've heard before. Because y'all have heard that phrase, right? Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's a fairly common phrase. I want you to hear what is being made available to us in Jesus. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 25. God has given me the responsibility, this is Paul talking, of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. So Paul's saying, there is this glorious message that has been entrusted to me. And you're not meant to just get little pieces of it. But there is this full, complete message that is for you. And then he talks about it. He says, this message was kept secret. Okay, so there was this secret message. It was kept secret for centuries and generations past. But now it has been revealed to God's people. So there's this entire beautiful message. It remained a mystery for a long time. But now Jesus has shown up. And the mystery is being unveiled. Verse 27. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Riches and glory. All right? Riches are about provision. And when I think of riches, I don't just think of my basic needs being met. I think of like this overflowing generosity that I have in abundance. I have more than I could even imagine. Not only are my needs met, but there's things I get to enjoy because of riches and glory. Glory, that's what, that's what artists are about. That's what athletes are about. Singers, dancers, actors, people on the athletic field. Part of, the, part of the beauty of this is I'm working to achieve something because there's this sense of glory that like, man, I reached the pinnacle. Like I accomplished all I could accomplish with what I was given. In fact, maybe I've stretched myself beyond what I've been given to achieve this high level. Glory. Paul's saying this beautiful mystery, God wants us to enjoy riches and glory, not the false ones that this world offers that don't fully satisfy, but these riches and glory, they're in Christ and they're for me and you. And this is the secret. What's the secret message? That Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Friends, I think far too many of us in our walk with Jesus, we don't realize the glory of the life we get to live. The Son of God is with us. His Spirit is in us. And within that is the hope of glory. A life of provision. A life of abundance. A life of meaning and purpose. 
And the root of it is not in going out there seeking to obtain comfort and security for ourselves. I don't mean we shouldn't work hard. I don't mean that it's wrong if, if we have success in our work and can provide for our families and enjoy it. I'm talking about where our hope lies. And far too many of us have bought the American lie that that is where happiness is going to come from. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness is like hope deferred that makes the heart sick. Far too many people have achieved that very thing that we struggle for and we see how their lives end. Take a look at the richest in the world. Take a look at the most famous in the world. Are these happy, well-adjusted, at-peace people? I'm not saying none of them are. Maybe even some of them know Jesus. And so their hope wasn't in that in the first place. But many of them strive their whole life to achieve glory, to achieve riches, and it's meaningless. Paul is not offering that. He's offering something far better. The Spirit of God wants us to hear that there are glorious riches in Jesus that are available to us. We can have them. And so the gospel, friends, the gospel is lavish. We can hope because it's beyond our wildest imagination. And we carry around this mystery. It's actually an open secret, but few find it. That's why the way is narrow. The way is narrow to life, and few find it. But friends, it's real, it's available. This mystery is meant to be made known, and it's this reality that Christ lives in me. That's the entirety of the message that Paul wants to share. Your home is in heaven, and your Jesus, who is your anchor, who is the one that provides you that hope for heaven, he's with you right here, right now. And so you don't just have to wait around for heaven you can experience his glory in this life. I want, to in, in, I want to give you just something brief in passing, okay? In my notes, I've put John chapter 15, verses 7 through 15, and I've given some bullet points to consider. I would encourage you on your own, whether with my notes or with your own Bible, to spend some time in John chapter 15, I talk about that passage a lot. It's one of my favorites. It's the passage that talks about abiding in Jesus. Friends, if we want to experience Christ in me, the hope of glory, the good news is he told me all about it. He told me all about it. In John 15, he's spending some of his last hours with those he knew the best, loved the most while he was on this earth, his disciples. And he shared with them what it would look like to be connected with him fully in this life. That's where our hope lies. Go after it. If it's weird to hear the pastor in a sermon give you homework, guys, it's not even work. Like, this is about accessing the beautiful life we have in Jesus. The hope that he gives us, it is available. There's hope of glory. Finally, I want to leave you with this. Number three, hope for a fruitful life. When we're anchored in a heavenly hope, when we're aware that God is producing glory in us, that will naturally lead to a life of significance. We will live a fruitful life. I just want to give you a glimpse of this. 
Listen to Paul writing here in Philippians now, chapter 1, verses 20 through 24. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. He's talking about that glory. And then he says, whether by life or by death. So he's talking about in the here and now and in heaven. There's hope in both. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul's saying hope offers two good choices. It's not one hopeful escape, it's two good choices. I can live a life of purpose and meaning and value here, and hope assures me that when I'm with him in heaven, it's glorious because I'm with Jesus in all of his fullness. And so what's Paul saying? The reason he's living now is on purpose to be fruitful, to invest in other people. Hope should stir us up to spend our time and our energy where it really matters, where it really pays off. Friends, when we choose to live a life that's invested in other people, we discover a special kind of hope. There's something so cool and hopeful about taking something you've discovered, something you're enjoying, and sharing it with someone else, and they discover it, and they enjoy it. I wish, I wish I knew a good way to communicate this. The best I can relate to is that, that sense as a parent when there's something you've always really enjoyed and you can't wait till your kids are at an age where they're old enough to enjoy it and you get to introduce it to them for the very first time. Isn't that just such a fun moment? That's just a little glimpse of what I'm talking about here. We get to be rooted in the hope of heaven. We get to experience this glory of Jesus being in me and giving me hope in this life And then I get to share that with other people. I get to participate in these like aha moments for other people. I get to to come alongside people who are struggling and hurting and weary and beat down. And I get to say, hold on in hope. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm with this. I'm with you in this. And our Jesus, he's got this. He's got this. He loves you. He loves me. He's up to something. And so friends... This, this, spreads, this spreads, it goes forth. And so Paul, Paul says it this way, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul understood that if his life was about extending the hope of Jesus to others who needed it, That is a life of glory. That is a life of meaning, and it produces joy. Friends, that's hard. It's why we need grace. It's why we need to be anchored in community, because at times we need to inspire each other with hope when we're not feeling it. But this is possible in Jesus. Heaven is our home. His presence in our lives produces something glorious. And we're meant to be carriers of this hope 
so we can live fruitful lives in this world, sharing that hope with a world in need. I want to I kind of pray these words over you guys in closing, so let's just kind of prepare our hearts to go here. Paul writes these words in 2 Thessalonians 2, 15 through 17. He says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Lord Jesus, may we be filled with hope. God, it's so easy to misplace our hope in this life. It's so easy to lose sight of you, to lose sight of heaven's glories in the midst of this fallen, broken world. But Jesus, I pray that we would be able to wait on you, that we would find courage and strength as we anchor our hope in you. God, may we see heaven as a reality for us and the the place that is our true home. May that free us from placing our hope in this life. May it help us to cope with the difficulties and struggles of this life that we know this isn't the final story. This isn't our true home. Jesus, may we recognize your regular presence in our lives that brings about riches and glory that are available only in you. Jesus, more and more would we find our lives in you. Teach us to abide in you. Teach us to stay connected in you. What a glorious mystery that is available. And God, may we become people that as we carry around your presence, we are carrying around hope. God, may we find purpose in living a life that will be fruitful. And it's fruit that lasts when we invest hope into other people. God, we love you, we worship you, and we place our hope in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. All right, friends. Bless you guys. Have a great week. May our hope be rooted in Jesus. All right? Friends at home, we love y'all. We'll see you soon.